This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and join me. Get my place here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Been taking these Sunday mornings now to look at a variety of subjects that God has placed on my heart to help us in our 50th year looking forward to strengthen our assembly by the grace of God, to unify us for the work that the Lord has for us while we wait for His return. As a church, we need to remember that every week, the potential is great for any part of the body of Christ here at Good News to err from the faith, to stray from the truth. In fact, every week, spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and powers, they are hell-bent and getting you to turn from your Lord and do something that would do damage to you and to the name of Christ. And so it's vitally important that we walk with the Lord so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're to pray every day, Lord, don't allow me to be drawn into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I try to pray that every day, Lord, you see around every corner, you know what the enemy's up to, so keep me from Satan, protect me from Satan, from self, and from this system, this world system, that again is is seeking to keep people in spiritual blindness. Now to counteract that, the Holy Spirit of God is here on this earth indwelling every Christian so that we can engage in the ministry of reconciliation and help draw people out of that darkness to the marvelous light of the gospel. Many are rethinking church today. The church is more of a club. It's where I go to see my friends, to be happy, uh, to have someone stimulate my mind intellectually, That's not what the church is. We're the organism of the body of Christ, but as we saw last week, uh, who we are as the Lord's representatives does matter. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're soldiers of the cross. It's warfare. Now, along with that picture is also the blessing that we are part of the family of God And we can serve alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. And the greatest work happening on planet earth. And there is great joy in fellowshipping with God's people as we fellowship with the Lord. But what is vitally necessary is that we have unity. Last week we looked at social media. This week God's placed on my heart the need for us to consider our unity 
in the body of Christ. The greatest way to disrupt the work of God is for there to be disunity in the body of Christ. We have enjoyed for many years here sweet fellowship and unity. But if we don't walk with God, all that could change very quickly. In fact, the history of Good News Baptist Church, there have been those seasons where God's people had to unify because this assembly was under attack. It could happen again. In fact, any place where God is doing his work, Satan's going to paint a target on that, and he's going to attack. We are not above that. We have not reached some level where we're not going to face the onslaught of the enemy. So I want to challenge us today, and we're going to take perhaps another week or two to talk about the importance of unity in the body of Christ. God delights in his children being unified. In fact, David said, Psalm 133 and verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In John 17, Jesus prayed for the unity of his disciples. You're in 1 Corinthians. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. But just go back quickly to John's gospel. John 17 gives us our Lord's high priestly prayers. He prays for his church. In John 17, the Lord prayed for unity in verse 11. He says to his father, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, speaking of his disciples, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we. Again, are is italicized. Just as we are unified, Lord, keep them in unity. Now, in verses 20 to 23, the Lord prayed for unity, not just for those disciples, but for the disciples and the generations that would follow. And so if you go to verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. In other words, the word of the disciples, as they evangelize, as they carry out the Great Commission, those would be saved, and then they have a responsibility to lead others, and so on and so on. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I jumped just a second. Verse 23. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And so he prays for their unity as well. This unity is defined by the unity in the Godhead. Again, this morning you are loved with the same love that God the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. Very same love. It's hard to comprehend, isn't it? 
But the Spirit of God dwelling in us wants to create through us in the body the same unity that the Godhead has experienced eternally. People ought to be able to come into an assembly like this and, and not only sense the presence of Christ, but sense the unity of Christ. These, these people act like they love to be together. And it ought to be true of us. So this unity is defined by the unity that God had. And our understanding of unity must be based on who we are positionally. Who are you in Christ? Can you define that biblically, who you are in Christ? Positionally. Now you're in 1 Corinthians. Let's go back there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's who you are. Here's who I am positionally. Look please at verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members... And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. There's that parallel again. We are a reflection of the Godhead. All right? Verse 13, for, as by, or for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now let's pause and, and look at that. It's talking about the baptism of the spirit. When you come to Christ, admit to God you're a sinner, you invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you believe on him. The spirit of God supernaturally immerses you, places you within the body of Christ. There are a lot of things that happen when we trust the Lord. Many magnificent uh, parts of our salvation. All right, but that is we're placed in the body of Christ. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit then until the day of redemption. But then with the Spirit of God living in us, here's the reality. As Jesus said in John's gospel, as he uh, was there on the Temple Mount, and he said, if anyone will come to me out of his innermost uh, being will flow rivers of living water. And, the, and John mentions there, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Once we are a part of the body of Christ, that in, the indwelling spirit of Christ, then does two things for us. What, if you're really thirsty on a really hot day, what does uh, cold water do for you? Well, it satisfies. Jesus was talking about being satisfied with himself. Every Christian gets to experience that with the indwelling spirit of God. Satisfaction. But then what does water also do? Well, it sustains us. And that also is part of what happens when we believe on Christ and the spirit of God comes to live in us. So that's who we are positionally. We have been equipped as a body to be unified. Why? Because we are one in Christ. We are one with Christ. And the spirit of Christ indwells us to bring about this love, joy, peace, and all those things that helps to unify the body. All right, so positionally that's who we are. Now our unity as a church is based not only on who we are in Christ, but also it's maintained by 
who we serve relationally. Who we are positionally, but then who we serve relationally. I'd like you to turn to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. Let me remind us that what you love is defined by what you serve. Let me say that again. What you love is defined by what you serve. Some of you genuinely love your spouses. That's why you serve him or her. Some of you genuinely love fishing. All right, so you serve. Tackle, boats, whatever. And that's okay in its place. But everyone ought to be able to look at the life of a Christian and say, you know, their service to Christ proves they love Christ. They're unwavering in their service to him. I want to approach our unity this way because a church that is walking with God is a unified church because they're serving Christ and what he loves. All right, so in Romans 12, I'd like us to look at two verses, the first two verses that many of us know by heart. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your what kind of service? Reasonable. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove, flesh out, demonstrate what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we tend to read these verses and focus from these verses on what I'm supposed to do. But the Lord helps us because what I do really is relational. Look back and notice, you might even want to underline in your Bible, mercies of God, your reasonable service that's acceptable to God, be not conformed to this world, and it goes through, and then at the end it talks about the will of God. See, it's relational. What makes my service reasonable is because a God love, our God, the God, loved us, sent his son to die for us, and now we love him back because he first loved us, right? That's only reasonable. He owns me. He bought me. He died for me. He rose again so that we could fellowship together uh, forever. All right, it's reasonable. So my focus needs to be relational when we come to this text. We are living sacrifices for God, which makes our service reasonable. As I live to please my Lord with my mind and my body, I'm able then to to see the body of Christ as I should. Again, we tend to stop at verse 2, but notice verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, because of the work of Christ, his enablement to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Again, the fruit of the Spirit, faith. 
Uh, It's what he produces in us as we depend. He increases our dependence on him, which is necessary. Now watch verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So the context is don't serve the world, don't serve your flesh, serve Christ, right? Be a living sacrifice because that's what's necessary for the unifying and the unity of the body of Christ. So who we are relationally. Now as God continues to grow good news, And our growth is going to require some transition. We've got a number of folks away today. We've got uh, people on a a senior's trip, all right? Uh, But as God continues to grow us, and he is growing us, there's going to be transition. There are going to be uh, things that we face together as we follow the will of God to have enough space here for all of us to meet. It's going to require that we make some adjustments, And the thing that I'm most concerned about, that God's going to provide. I'm not concerned about that. But we're going to have to have unity so that we cooperate, work together in the will of God to be able to keep moving forward. It's these times of transitions that can make a church family vulnerable. It'd be easy for us to start seeing how many members we have But that shouldn't be our focus. Our focus must be that we are Christ's body. Designed by our Savior to glorify Him through fellowship with Him for the health of the body. Let me say that again. Note it carefully. Our focus needs to be that we are His body. We're the body of Christ designed by our Savior to bring glory to Him through our fellowship with Him for the health of the body. Do you know that it it doesn't matter how big a church family grows, the reality is if we're focused on glorifying God as the body of Christ, it can get bigger and it can stay unified. But it's going to be our walk with God that causes that to happen, all right? And, and other things can distract from that, but we, we need to be very careful. That's why unity is so important. So this is where our spiritual gifting comes into focus. Now look at verse 6 of chapter 12. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, Grace continues to remind us this is what God does through us, not what we do. Grace given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the uh, proportion of faith. Again, dependence. Or or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Let us uh, focus on that. Let's serve the Lord through that. Stay committed to that. Or our teaching, uh, uh, he that teacheth, that gift on teaching. He that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, 
he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. All right, we'll stop there for now. So our gifts differ. Verse 6 reminds us of that. But for the sake of unity and the health of the body of Christ. When you got saved, you were gifted differently than I was uh, gifted when I got saved. Again, Paul will take time in Corinthians to talk about the body and how everything is, is fitly joined together by God's design. Uh, I don't take much time to think about my big toes, but I'm thankful for my big toes. If I take time to think about them, they're important, right? Okay. And, and every other part that God has in his uh, amazing design put there so that this body can function. And what's this body for? So I can serve this body? No. So this body can serve the Lord God. And, and, and that example, in fact, remember, God made your body the way he did to help you understand serving him in the body of Christ. Nature was designed to be the, the illustration, the physical illustration of the church and what God is doing in us. So once again, our unity is based on who we are relationally. Look at verse 9 now. Let love be without dissimulation. What we do together here needs to be based on love for Christ and his love through us towards each other. The word dissimulation is the word for hypocrisy. In fact, the Greek word means being two-faced. Love will keep you from being two-faced, being a hypocrite. If you love Christ, you'll be consistent whether people are watching or not. If you love Christ, he helps you love the church so that you love each other consistently. Not I love my favorites and I love these people less. It's not that. Not that at all. So loving Christ will enable me to love the brethren without hypocrisy, the hypocrisy, hypocrisy that treats some Christians with love and others in an unloving way, which we would know is the essence of disunity. What God is asking us to do isn't always easy. Many in the church love the Lord, which enables them to love others. As pastor, when I watch you interact, it rejoices my heart. I, I watch believers who see others, and clearly they don't know who that other person is, but they walk up and engage. And around here with the risk of, are you new here? No, I've been, I've been here a few years. How about you? Okay, there's, there's that risk, but that's okay. All right? Hey, how, how are you doing? And here's who I am, and it's, it's good to meet you. What a blessing. Love for the Lord enabled you to do that. Yet there is the other extreme in the church. There are people who know the Lord and serve themselves. And sometimes it's pretty obvious that that's what's happening. Now, they're not good at being a hypocrite, and that's okay. None of us should be good at being a hypocrite. 
But, but what's the other extreme? We find it here in the text. Look at verse 14. Remember the context. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. The context is the body of Christ. You ever met a persecutor in the body of Christ? Well, the scripture says that, that they're here. It could be in any assembly. But what is the persecution? The persecution here in the original, it's verbal, all right? It literally means to say all kinds of evil against someone else. Yeah, Christians can give other Christians a hard time because they're willing to say things that are hurtful. Of course, Paul addresses that to the Ephesians in chapter 4. Don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which builds up. And so when they persecute verbally, when they say things that are hurtful, harmful, don't respond with a curse. Well, what is that? It's not talking about cussing them out. The word curse here literally is, don't say anything that devotes them to destruction or hopes for their hurt. You know, James talked about how the tongue can be used to do great damage. And let's not be so pious this morning when we hear that someone has said something about us that's hurtful or they say something to us that's hurtful. Isn't it amazing how quickly my mind can form a verbal assault back? Well, if that's the way you think, I've got something to tell you. And the scripture is saying, don't respond that way. Love doesn't respond that way. So my burden in this message is to let the scriptures speak to the actions required in our lives that will promote unity here for the glory of God and the ongoing health of his body here. Now here's what is necessary for the unity in Christ's body to be strengthened. We're going to look at two things this morning and then we're going to need to be done. But I hope you'll, you'll note these. Mark them in your Bible. Uh, put them somewhere where you're going to go back and, and be able to reflect on these things, meditate on these things. The, this is what the Holy Spirit gives us to help maintain unity in his body. So here's number one, and it's found in verse 9. If you want to write it down, follow the leave-cleave principle. Follow the leave-cleave principle. It's right out of the text, verse 9. Let love be uh, without dissimulation. Abhor that which evil is evil. Cleave to that which is what? Good. Leave and cleave. It's literally what the verse is saying. Abhor means to loathe evil, to disdain it. There are certain smells that make us sick. There are certain things that we see that turns our stomach. You know, God wants you, when you see evil, he wants that to happen. Ugh. Now, the leave-cleave principle, many of you, you're thinking in your mind, well, that, that's marriage, right? 
That's marriage. How is it marriage? Well, those entering marriage must agree to loathe all competitors. Do you promise to forsake all others and cleave to your spouse? I do. Do you know that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church? When we truly love the Lord, we disdain any competitors, and that includes evil. But what's the cleaving part? Well, that means to be glued to. And so I disdain competitors, but I cleave to, I'm glued to the one I'm married to. Last week I addressed social media. It saddens me how many Christians, and we have to deal with this from time to time as pastors, how many Christians flirt with others who are not their spouses on social media. It's awful. Preachers get calls. I just discovered this. And at this crazy hour of the night, my spouse is, is communicating this to somebody. Oh, we ought to abhor that. And those who are cleaving to their spouse do abhor that. We detest that. Because it destroys the unity in our marriages. And in the same way, for the sake of Christ, Christians should be intolerant of evil. And this will also promote unity in the body. That doesn't mean we abhor those who are doing the evil. Scripture gives us good understanding how to come alongside and help them. But we abhor the sin that causes disunity and destruction within the body and within a marriage. So here's a clear example, I think, from Scripture. 1 Corinthians was a letter of rebuke to the Corinthian church because the church was tolerant of evil. Remember the things that they were tolerating in Corinth? And there was much disunity there as a result. However, 2 Corinthians was a letter of reconciliation and unity because they had become intolerant of their own sin, and they dealt with it properly. In fact, 2 Corinthians 7.11 says this, For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire. They were zealous for what was right again. With zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And the matter was they had a man in the church living in awful immorality and they all thought they were spiritual enough to just handle it. But there were other problems. There was great disunity in that church until the sin was repented of. They began to abhor the sin and cleave to that which was good. And so follow the leave-cleave principle. How do you view sin? How do you respond to the Holy Spirit when he pricks your heart about sin? Now here's a second thing that will unify us from the text. Think like the family we are. Think like the family 
that we are. And again, I'm speaking to believers. But notice verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Think like the family we are. I was sharing yesterday at the uh, event that we had at our house uh, for our daughter, Kaylin, and so many of you were there, and it was just on, on a wonderful day, weather-wise, wow. But what fellowship we had. And I was sharing with some. we are so thankful for Good News Baptist Church, for God leading us here, for the privilege of being able to serve with you. It's just sweet. It's such a blessing. And I'm thankful to be part of a church that thinks like a family. But what does that look like? What is he talking about here in verse 10? Well, kindly affection is the translation of two Greek words for love. In fact, it's a compound word where two words for love are used in the same word. By the way, it's only that word is only used here in our New Testament. The two words are phileo and storge. All right, what do these words mean? Well, together, put together, they mean mutual love and affection that parents and children share with each other. Again, quite literally, a family. So again, it's mutual love. It's the idea of brotherly love. God gives that to us in a natural sense. Again, natural affection. God says in these last days, people will be without that natural affection. But in a supernatural way, just like families have that natural affection, the Holy Spirit gives us this supernatural love and affection for the body of Christ. I love these parallels. So God wants us to think like the family we are. I'm going to make a statement this morning that's going to shock you. All right? I've got all of your attention. What's pastor going to say? Renee's really listening, right? What's he going to say? All right. Here's the statement. There is no perfect family. Now, I love my family, but they're all smiling and agreeing, I think. There is no perfect family. Did you know there is no perfect church family? If you find one, please don't join it. All right? I know there's no perfect family because I'm part of one and I am contributing to the imperfection. And I have. However, for there to be unity in a family, there must be cooperation and toleration. Now, not toleration of sin. Well, we're a good family. We just put up with what... No, no, no. If you really love somebody, you're going to confront what's going to destroy them and hurt them. All right, so, but there is cooperation in spite of whatever, and there is toleration. There are things that we're willing to overlook, though, again, we never overlook sin. Unity is affected when parents and children start picking at everything they don't like. And the same is true in the church. 
Well, why does he sing that way? Who picked the color of these walls? You're all chuckling. We could go on and on and on and on, right? You know, if you serve self, self has to win. If you're serving the Lord Christ, he has to be glorified. He gets his way, and I don't have to have my way. You know what tears families apart? Everybody's got to have their way. No. We cooperate, and we're tolerant of things that don't matter. The wise man said it's the glory of a man to pass over a matter. I can see things and just smile. Well, that's, that's their service to the Lord, and I probably would have done some things differently, but praise God. They're serving the Lord Now, what is the key for thinking like a family? Well, go back to verse 10. He tells us, in honor, preferring one another. What does that mean? We're to consider others in the church family as being more worthy of honor than ourselves. When you walk in and you're with your church family, you see service and you see things that are being done for the Lord, and you just interact, You're, you need to look at somebody else and say, they deserve more honor than I do. Let's expand on that. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Do you know what that means? When I see someone else in my church family, I need to consider them being more important than I am. I'll let that sink in. In fact, I will have this conversation with church members here. Well, I, I, there's just not much that I can do. And I'll say, wait a second, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. And I'll, I'll just write out, so who's more important, you or me? Well, you're the pastor. It's not what God says. I am to consider you more important than I am and I do think that way. And we're to think that way about each other. So, more honor, more important. And that's the way God wants us to think, regardless of how we serve together here. So God intends for this spirit-filled thinking to change the way we view and interact with our church family. Those around us here in the pews. Those in the youth group with us, teens. The people around you need to be treated with more honor and as more important than you are. I think about that. And by the way, that will help you with all the teen and, and adolescent insecurities that we all had when we were your age. I never looked in the mirror and liked what I saw. And I had those in my peer group that, that were uh, able to tell me they didn't like what they saw either. Well, you know what? In light of who Christ is, all that goes away. 
and how he views me and then how my love for him ought to cause me to love others and see them as more honorable, more important than I am. And it's okay because they're to be viewing me the same way. And as we serve together, every opportunity that you're called on to, to help participate in or you're asked, asked to do, uh, what a privilege. It's the family working together to bring glory to God and get his work done here. And we need to stop here today, but this is how unity is encouraged in the body of Christ. Again, I'm, I am so burdened that we stay unified. And I'm thankful I can preach this message this morning, and I don't know about anything. I can honestly say that before God. I don't know about anything where our unity right now is being threatened. But I have flesh, and you have flesh, and if I don't walk in the Spirit, I'm going to start serving that flesh. And when that happens... Then I start thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think. And that negatively affects those around me that I ought to be loving to Jesus. And so let's be unified as the body of Christ, looking to Jesus so that we can have the same unity that the Godhead experiences. And let's bring glory to God and continue to serve him from the heart as he then works through us to strengthen the blessing that we have here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time in your word this morning. Thank you for these texts. And Lord, thank you for being willing to speak through an earthen vessel, this wheat clay, Lord, to try to help us understand the privilege it is to know you and to serve you, but how important it is to be unified in the faith. Now, Lord, if in any of our hearts this morning there is something where we're being tolerant of sin, where we're excusing sin instead of abhorring it, we're adoring it. Lord, would you help us to leave it in the cleave to you so that we can be unified as a body? And Lord, would you help our attitude towards fellow believers to be just what pleases you? Work in our hearts now during this invitation time, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.